topics that you would like to hear preached on. And so we, we, we took those in and we tallied them up and we've talked about um, what is Presbyterianism. We looked at what is faith and what does that mean to have faith in uncertain times. We looked at heaven was uh, what we looked at last week. And so this week we're looking at how do Christians engage politics, government, some submission to governmental leaders? What does the Bible say about that? And I'm, I'm one that if, you know, if that's not my lane and there's somebody else that's in that lane, let me get out of the way and, and bring that person in. So um, I'm not up here wasting your time. Um, but, uh, and so to that end, I was grateful that Chuck was able to come and be with us. Chuck's been in ministry for over 40 years. And he, he and his wife are now in D.C., have been in D.C. working uh, or being the, as the director of, of a ministry called Ministry to State. And this is a very unique ministry that targets the Hill, targets um, men and women in leadership and government uh, in Washington, D.C., but also in other state governments as well. And that's all they do. They try to impact uh, the kingdom uh, by leading Bible studies and praying for uh, those in leadership that come to be a part of and work for our government. And so if that's interesting to you, I hope that you at least go introduce yourself to Chuck after the service, maybe get his contact information and find out ways that you could perhaps learn more about what he does and what the ministry to state does. But uh, we're glad to have him here this morning to come speak to us about Christians and the government. So Chuck, come on up. Brian, thank you very much, and may I also say to all of you, thank you for your continual support and prayer and love that you have demonstrated to Debbie and myself really for quite a long time. Uh, it's really been about 19 years when we first came and we were part of Wallace, and uh, you welcomed us, and especially our youngest son, Peter, and it was a very tentative time for us as a family as a, uh, as a couple in terms of ministry. No one knew what we were really doing. We didn't know what we were doing, and, uh, and yet you all have been so very, very gracious to us. So thank you for your kindness. We're going to be looking at the, the book of 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I think you have it there in your passage uh, that is within your bulletin. And if you would like to turn to that in the Bible, or if you would just like to listen, it's perfectly fine. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for this morning and for this opportunity that you've given us to gather together, that we have the freedom to do so, that we have a beautiful environment that uh, you have provided, uh, Wallace, this uh, sanctuary. Thank you, Father, for not being silent, but speaking to us through your word. 
And we pray that this morning, as we spend time in this particular part of 1 Peter, that you would work within our lives and our hearts, that you would guide us, that you would encourage us in terms of what's happening within our world, within our own country. And we ask, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. As a Christian, you should be concerned about all the things that are taking place within the political, within the government world. And I tend to think, and I'm reflecting more on my own pastoral experience over the 40-some years that I've been in the ministry, that we don't deal quite enough with this particular topic for a number of reasons, maybe. But it would be helpful for us to occasionally just pause and ask the basic question, what does God teach us in his word when it comes to things such as government and politics? And this morning, I do want to make a little bit of distinction between government and politics, because really, in life, there is that distinction. On the one side, when you think about government, you think about that which goes on among those in leadership that provide oversight to all the affairs of the state. But the political side, just to, again to make a distinction, is that process that is entered into that puts people in that place of government in most cases in terms of leadership. And so you, as you think about what you listen to, what you read, uh, what you watch on TV, on the news, etc., you mix the two together in such a way that you don't make much of a distinction and in a way, that's, that's okay. But this morning, I would like you to try to keep those two things a little bit apart. Now, when you come to this passage here in 1 Peter, Peter is not talking about so much the political side of things. Why? Because in his day and age, there wasn't much of a political process to those who were ruling, right? You were... You were given that position, even by certain circumstances, and we won't go into those circumstances, but it was given to you. And you as a citizen, when you woke up in the morning and you were watching uh, cable news, right, and you were reading the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post or the New York Times or whatever, you know, you weren't really thinking about the political process of things, the political side of the equation. You were just dealing with, at that time, Nero and what he had to say, or what the emperor had to say, or what the emperor had said in terms of, of who's going to be your governor. And you just accepted it for the most part. Oh, you might have been a little bit of a radical in that time and age, but probably not too much. You, wouldn't, you were not going to live very long. So in the time and in the context in which Peter is writing, in which Paul would have been writing, it was just a given state of affairs. This is who is governing you. And that was particularly in the case of Rome. For us today, as we think about the news and the things that are given to us in regards to government, we might be thinking about a monarch. You might be thinking about uh, Saudi Arabia, right? You might be thinking about uh, Great Britain, which is a democracy, a republic, a, a parliamentary side of the equation, where in our case, in terms of our constitution, we have a president, we have a vice president, we have these different branches of government that are distinct and they're supposed to keep each other in check. It's a very complicated system. And we, and we kind of melt all that together. 
In some cases, you might be thinking about Iran. Iran is a theocracy in which you, you've got this form of government that is, in essence, uh, the state being run by those who are involved in theology, and the list goes on and on. And so the point is simply that as you wake up in the morning, as you go to bed at night, as you go through your week and your month and your year, you've been accustomed to thinking about government and politics and that it's just this constant theme that's ongoing in the background in some cases and sometimes because of elections, it's more so in the forefront. But the question is, as you think about it, do you have a biblical, and maybe I should also say today, a reformed, a biblical reformed view of that government and those who take place there? Just as a little bit of background for myself, when I was in the pastorate, as I mentioned, I rarely would ever speak about government. And to be honest with you, I wasn't oriented towards the political or government side of the equation. That was just not how I thought, how I was built, how I was made. And to be honest, I don't remember any kind of emphasis given in this area in seminary. And I don't remember others speaking a lot about the importance of it. But little by little, God did certain things in my own life that brought me into the political or the government realm in a rather significant way. One was when I was in Oklahoma City pastoring there, I got involved. We got involved as a church in Hungary soon after the, the, uh, the wall came down in the former Soviet Union. And as I spent time in Hungary, I thought I was going back into history like some 50 years. It was a really different environment. And then at the same time, I got involved in South Africa before the end of apartheid. And those two experiences, along with the bombing in Oklahoma City in 1995, over time began to, I think, speak into my own heart and my own mind in regards to the importance of Christians thinking more biblically about that part of life in the world. And so this morning, what I would like to do is to, in essence, take you back to 1 Peter and to provide three basic reflections on this passage of Scripture. But I also want you to know some of these things that I'm going to be sharing are from experience or from the amount of time and energy that I've had to devote to this particular area of life. And so if you look back at the passage you'll note that as Peter is speaking, as he is uh, addressing these Christians, he's concerned about a number of things, of course, uh, but certainly three basic things as, he's, as, as, he, as he is sharing with them now what the application should be of the gospel. The first chapter of 1 Peter, for example, speaks a lot about the understanding of the gospel, but as he comes into chapter two, he's giving more application, and you'll see later within the chapter, which we won't be dealing with today, that he addresses any number of different areas of life as a way of helping them apply their understanding of the gospel to that particular area. And here in First Peter, he provides this particular area that I'll give three different emphases. One is in terms of a proper understanding of the nature of God and specifically the sovereignty of God. Secondly, 
what it looks like for us as Christians to submit to government, and then thirdly, what it looks like for us to serve. As people who understand Reformed theology, the sovereignty of God is really important for us. And I want to make sure that before we leave here today, that we at least have had a, a review, a quick review of the sovereignty of God and what the scriptures teach us. But if you will, let me go to the Westminster Confession of Faith and read this one section, chapter 3, of God's eternal decrees. And we read this, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordained whatever comes to pass. And yet he ordained all things in such a way that he is not the author of sin, nor does he force his creatures to act against their wills. Neither uh, is the liberty contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. In other words, as we look at the confession, all that happens in time, eternity, according, is according to the will of one who made both. We believe that there is absolutely nothing that takes place within this world. When you think about the things that are going on today, the, the conflict, the war that has been unleashed by Moscow in terms of Ukraine, the, the conversations, the things that different states are doing in response to that. When you think about the, the fact that we are now as a country involved in an election, what we call a midterm election, and there are all kinds of people running for offices and they're winning or they're losing their primaries or they're going into the, the general election, which is in the beginning of November, all those things that are taking place, along with your health, the conflicts that exist within your life, the blessings, the rewards, all the things, all the things, even the most minute detail is all under the sovereign direction of God. And he is working out his perfect will within our lives individually, as a church, as a state, as a country, as a, in the world at large, within the universe, this massive, incredible universe, everything that takes place is happening under his sovereignty. J.I. Packer, in his book, The Sovereignty of God in Evangelism, or is it Evangelism in the Sovereignty of God, whatever, uh, some of you who know it, yeah, yes, Evangelism in the Sovereignty of God, sorry. He speaks about the issue of prayer, and what he accents there in this one chapter is that when we pray, we are in essence confessing, this is a bit of a uh, paraphrase, we are confessing the fact that we believe in the sovereignty of God. Think, for example, about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Would you pray that? to a God who is just sort of in control, who on occasion is in control, who occasionally maybe is not in control because of the will of, of somebody else? No. When you pray that, you're praying to one who you believe is totally sovereign. 
And we could go on in terms of our prayer life. But the point is simply that as we as Christians think about life and the world around us, and especially the political and in regards to the things that are taking place relative to government, we need to be reminded regularly that even though things are not going maybe the way we would like, the definition of such is not the way which, in which we would define it, but we understand that we are under and live and exist under the sovereignty of God, and he has his perfect plan. So when you read from Isaiah, see the sovereign Lord comes with power in Isaiah 40, and his arm rules for him. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Whirlwinds sweep them away like chaff. And other portions of Isaiah 40, or maybe you might be uh, reading through the book of Romans, and you read about Romans, or what Paul says in uh, Romans 9, again, because of time, or as you think about the whole dynamic of salvation in Ephesians, which I think is what you're going to be studying uh, in, the, in the near future, and you read about the sovereignty of God in terms of predestination within election, etc., we're reminded of the fact that there is nothing in life that is outside his control. And when he puts somebody in power, there has to be a reason, there has to be a purpose, which brings us then to our second point in regards to this issue of submission. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now that's quite a challenge for us, I think. I mean, it's, it's a challenge for me. There, I'll be honest with you that ever since I was very, very young, I always had opinions in terms of the authority set up over me as a toddler, right? Look at any toddler. I'm, I'm amazed at how early, even like our children or grandchildren, can demonstrate rebellion. <laughs> you know, they can sit at the table and they can do their own thing and they don't care about anything that authority is, uh, is stating or issuing to them, right? Throwing food or whatever the case is. And that same mindset and behavior carries on, right? So we know that when, that when Peter here, or Paul in Romans 13, speaks about this issue of submission, it's, it's, a, it's a weighty thing for us. We're not always quite ready to do so. But it's interesting to note the reasons why it is important. Besides the fact that it's just simply a, a challenge, it's important for a number of very good reasons that he provides for us here. We understand that it is God who has placed that individual. If we understand what the scriptures teach, both Old and New Testament, we understand that that individual in authority, that emperor, that monarch, that president, that prime minister, that member of Congress, that member of Parliament, whatever the case may be, has been placed there by God. Calvin says he designates every kind of magistrates as though he had said that there is no kind 
of government to which we are not to submit. He confirms this by saying that they are God's ministers. Think about that. And we say in response, well, now, wait a minute. They do not hold the same political thought process that I do. They do not hold the same political mindset there. And then you fill in the blanks. I'm conservative. They're liberal. They're liberal. I'm conservative. I'm moderate. They're progressive. I'm a libertarian. And the list kind of goes on and on and on. And we say, you know, why, why would I ever acknowledge that they are a minister of God? But that's exactly what Peter says here. And again, it doesn't, that doesn't make much sense. And, and it's very difficult to understand or accept if you don't acknowledge the sovereignty of God in all things. Calvin goes on, he addresses uh, those who reject the punishment uh, or reject the ministry, so to speak, of those who God has placed them, placed there in that position. He says, not only are they, in essence, disobedient to God, but they are disrespectful to all mankind. Uh, Calvin again goes, he says, this then, in short, is what Peter means that since God keeps the world in order by the ministry of magistrates, all they who despise their authority are enemies to mankind. And again, basically what he is saying is simply this. Government provides order. And I wish I had more time to go into this side of things, but Calvin goes on and he speaks about the fact that even a emperor a governor, a whoever, that is evil, um, that is just tyranny, so to speak, that that is incredibly better than the absence of any kind of government. Imagine having the absence of any kind of government, even evil authority. You're talking about a world in which there is nothing but pure chaos. And if you actually go into the particulars of the 180 plus countries of the world and the governments that exist there, and you go into the, the depths of the things, you'll see that there is any number of those. In fact, they're often rated in regards to corruption. We fight corruption here within, this own, within our own country. And we see it throughout the world. But yet Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, here in this case, Peter, is advocating the fact that even an evil government is far, far, far better because of the order that they provide. Do you ever think about the order that is provided as a, as a way of God communicating his presence and his love and his care? In other words, we talk about general revelation, and when we talk about general revelation, we we think about Psalm 19, the, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. And it's all one of the means that God uses to communicate to us that he's present. So that when you, well, let me step back with me just for a minute and come with me to to our home in Washington. Some of you maybe have been there. We, we need to have more people there. 
But I get up in the morning and I have a meeting on the hill. Now, just watch this for a moment. So I get up, um, I get myself ready, and I get out the door. I'm walking along the street, but I'm not walking in the street, I'm walking on a sidewalk that's been provided. And there's a curb there, right? Why is that curb there? That curb there is to restrict the flow of water, et cetera, so that when it rains, uh, there is a place that you can walk and it's not gonna be quite so wet. And as I continue walking, I'm looking, uh, I'm on a major street, I'm going towards the metro, and I notice that there are lines on the street. And the lines there represent different things. Some of those lines tell me that this is for bikes. Some of the lines tell me on the street that when you drive, you drive on the right side of the street. And the people who are coming towards you, they're supposed to drive on the left side of the street and miss your car, right? And as you continue on, you, you pass a stop sign. And you go on, and there's a, there's a red light or a green light. There's a, and then there's all kinds of things that you just don't ever think about. And then eventually, I go down onto the metro, and I, I stand there, I wait for the metro, I get on the car, and there's all of this incredible order that you don't think about, you take for granted, much of which has been provided to you by your government, by the authorities over you, by those Neros, those emperors, those governors. And they provide incredible order. And whether you're a Christian or atheist, whether you're Buddhist or whatever, 99.9% of the time, you're going you're gonna to drive on the right side and you're going to see traffic come on the left side. And all that order, in a way, in a form, should be taken as a message to us, certainly as Christians, as Reformed Christians, that God has provided this incredible order, and that's just a small little taste of it. And your government is the means, that is, is the minister that provides that for you. And then thirdly, because our time is going here quickly, Paul tells us that we are to serve those in government. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone. Verse 17, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. As a church, as a Christian, we are not just to be in a mindset of tolerating those who are in position of authority within the state, but we are actually to honor them. What does that look like, to care to honor them? First of all, it's going to look like us having a different mindset towards them, not just tolerating them, not speaking evil against them. Now, let me just, again, our time is so short, and I'm almost done here, but let me just simply say this. In our system of government, we, we, we have accepted dialogue and differences 
And so we stand up and we speak our minds, rightfully so. You do so as a citizen because you are part of the government in this country. But those that you elect, you expect them to, to express themselves. And sometimes in that expression and that exchange, and it sounds heated and it sounds rather harmful in some ways to the, to the person, but that is the process that we're in and there's nothing wrong with that. So I'm not speaking against that. But what I am saying is that at the bottom line, in our hearts of hearts and our minds, we need to honor those in positions of authority, whether we agree with them or not, whether we voted for them or not. Even the most radical person, Peter is saying, you are to honor them. Again, he's speaking in a day with Nero. He's speaking at a time where he's writing like in A.D. 62 to maybe A.D. 68. The emperor there was very evil towards Christians. And he's saying, no, they need to be honored. Why? Because God has placed them there. And even though we can't figure out why, or it doesn't make sense to us, there is an order ongoing within a fallen world that we need to be, we need to be participants in, and participants according to the gospel. You are the only ones at times in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community, that is representing the gospel. And therefore, as you do so, especially relative to those in government, you need to be the ones who lead the charge in regards to what it looks like to enter into that sphere, that government sphere, and to do so with the gospel at the very basis of what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're thinking. And so prayer needs to be a primary thing for us as Christians. We need to regularly pray. I try to be as creative as I can in this area. You know that I've, I've written some books on praying for presidents. Um, I've written the one about, uh, for President Obama, President Trump, and President Xi in China. When I do my walk through the neighborhood and I pass the former Chinese embassy, I always make a point of stopping and praying for President Xi. I think about the enormous amount of evil that has been unleashed by the communists to our church and Christians in China. And we need to be praying for them. I pray for him, I pray for his wife and his daughter. I pray that God would work in their lives and bring about salvation into their hearts. I do it knowing that it just seems like an impossible prayer but I do it because I know that my God is sovereign. I believe also we need to do everything we can, and I'll end with this, to develop relationships with those in government that would enable us as a church to have a better posture, a better position to communicate the gospel to them. After the last election, as we were thinking as a ministry of what it looked like, or what it should look like for us to engage with those who are new in office, we were able to set up two different meetings, one in San Antonio with, the, uh, with uh, Tom Gibbs, who is now the president of Covenant Seminary. And I asked Tom, I said, Tom, would it be possible to bring together a group of pastors, PCA pastors, and invite a new, uh, a new member of Congress and have a lunch and to sit down with, in this case, Tony Gonzalez and just let him talk about his life and his family and whatever faith that he has or he doesn't have and then pray for him. And we did that. 
we had a great lunch there with Tom and the other PCA pastors there. We did the same thing in Naples, Florida, uh, with the staff at Covenant Church and some of the other PCA pastors down in Naples uh, with Byron Donaldson, who was the new freshman there. And again, uh, they came and we had a great lunch and we just let them talk about their lives and then we prayed for them. I believe as a church, PCA, you as a, as a particular church, you have already invested in that kind of ministry. And I believe that as we look and we reflect on 1 Peter chapter 2, when he talks about honoring, honoring the emperor, honoring those in government, that you've already engaged in it in a very definite way. But my prayer is that as a church, we would look for more ways. And all the things that we've done in the past would pale in comparison to the things that we will do in the future. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for First Peter. It is critical for us as Christians to keep in mind the fact that you have spoken to us when it comes to our relationship, our mindset, our hearts towards those in authority. And we acknowledge that it is a challenge because there are so many who have such different views, different world and life views, different opinions, different personalities, that it doesn't really attract us. But we hear you when you remind us that they are, in essence, your ministers. You've placed them there. And even though we may not be able to understand the reasons why you allow these things to take place, we trust you. And we ask that you would help us to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.